0: Thank you for tuning in to the mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stared on moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back. We made it to the season finale of season two of the Mile 40 podcast. It's been such an incredible ride this season. We've had all sorts of people come on and, and share their stories, walking us through their pit to peak uh, trajectories and, and really kind of um, helping us Understand the lessons that they've learned along the way. Today's episode, I, I can't even begin to tell you guys how excited I am about it. I, I joked around with the uh, guest before this, and I told him that I, I've been talking to him, talking to my wife about him the same way I was talking about my wife to my buddies before, uh, before we got together. And the reason for that is because I feel like this is the kind of person that you know w- when you come across them, when you're just in their mere presence, they don't really have to say much but you're just very quickly attracted to them and understand that there's something that you could soak up from them. Um, and that's how it was with this guest today. The funny story about this guest, and I told him this when I met him, originally, um, I had been networking in my community looking for people to start talking to about sponsorship for Mile 40. And um, someone was like, you need to meet this person. And I looked up you know, his, his bio and, and his story, and immediately I wrote a note to myself and I said, I don't want this person as a sponsor I want this person as a guest. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce you all to Darren Moda. Darren is the CEO of Hydrip. Hydrip has a mission to provide alternative wellness solutions to help others live longer, healthier lives. They are are breaking into the industry and no doubt with Darren at the realm, um I'm excited to see where they go. So Darren, thank you for uh, joining me today.
1: Wow, that uh, what an intro. I I hope that I could uh you know, deliver to such a a, a high expectations for what you set for your listeners. But here we are. Thank you for having me. I, I'm I'm extremely honored, and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: No doubt about it. Um, you know, before we kind of kick into things, I, I know you're a big Yankee fan. Uh, yesterday's <sighs> yesterday's loss was a little tough. How are we feeling? Uh, oh, you know. it's tough, tough.
1: Um, uh, I'm feeling you know optimistic. Uh, still because. You know, yes, we're down 0-2. I I understand it. But now we're coming home for three games. Uh, But now we are, you know, we have our number one and our number two pitchers going versus their number three and number four. Uh, Plus with the home, you know, the home field advantage, the way the crowd is here. So I'm feeling optimistic that we can, you know, at least tie it up 2-2. And then from there, it's just a three-game series after that. And see, you know, it's a flip of a coin. But um, I'm not, not very happy with our manager right now. I feel like he hasn't been making the, Best decisions
0: yeah that's fair. I mean, um you can't really beat this time of year um and 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 having the Yankees you know make it into the playoffs and, and kind of <laughs> groove in and then you see the kind of mistakes out there and and you want to just so badly uh be heard um and to kind of be <laughs> able to kind of impact um so Darren kind of segueing um you know, I want to kind of preface the audience and say darren's journey um. Has a lot of escalation to it. It's not just, you know, one piece of the pie and, and kind of one lesson that he learned. And, and that's something that, um, you know, I think is particularly special, because I feel like, and, and Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, because of the fact that, you know, your journey included a lot of pits from, you know, the day you were born, essentially, um, you've taken on this mindset of, uh, just being a student throughout your lifetime and just kind of learning through experiences and applying what you've learned.
1: Correct. I mean, it's, it's all about how you react to your circumstances, right? We, sometimes we can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we, how we react and and what we do, you know, going forward in our mindset mindset is, is, is the key to
0: everything. Absolutely. So let's talk about where where things started with you. Um, I know you had mentioned that you were originally from the Dominican Republic, correct?
1: I am. I am. I'm a a son of of two immigrants, uh, a father who was 100% uh, born and raised in Dominican Republic. My mom is uh, 50% Dominican, uh, 50% Spaniard. uh, So I I am, I would say 25% Spaniard, 75% Dominican. Uh, So I was born end the Dominican Republic. Um, and, you know, just like you said, it's it started right from the beginning, started with some challenges. At the time, obviously, I don't know the challenges as as a newborn baby. But, uh, you know, my mom, uh, unfortunately, passed away uh, when I was five months old of uh, tuberculosis, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my father, you know, decided that uh, the best thing for, for him and for me would be to move to you know the United States, uh, as most of the family was already here. You know his his dad, who's my grandfather, was already here, so he decided to uh, move uh, to the United States, where he then um, remarried. He remarried, had another had another kid, so I have you know a half sister uh, from a stepmother as well, and then um, you know some of the pitfalls and challenges continued. Yeah. Uh, at the age at the age of 5 uh my dad was a cab driver here in uh new york city uh the black cabs and he happened to be off off of work my this is a story that i'm i, I was told obviously cuz yeah. I, I wouldn't know uh he was you know just went into a bar to just to have a drink to relax and unwind and he noticed a gentleman uh not being, not treating a young lady like a gentleman. He was, you know, touching her and she kept saying, Hey, leave me alone, leave me alone, step away. So my dad, as gentlemen would do, uh, stood up and told him like, Hey, you know, you heard what she said. She said, please leave her alone, step away, you know, and so on and so on. So the guy kept going. So they got into a little altercation is my understanding and you know, everybody broke it up and things got, you know, calm and, Proceeded from there, so my dad stayed there he's you know he's having a couple of drinks, made sure that the the young lady was okay and then about an hour later, he steps outside uh to go home you know uh, to go about his way and uh my understanding is the gentleman was standing outside with a gun and uh you know murdered my dad uh, in front of a bunch of people and uh to this day they still they they never found him, so um that mystery went unsolved you know back then there weren't that you know as many cameras around people didn't have cell phones and, and things like that so uh any witnesses you know would say would all say like oh we didn't we didn't we saw what happened but we don't know who it is we can't describe who the individual is.
0: so you're now a five-year-old orphan um you never knew your mom um yeah. before your dad was murdered. Um, did he ever tell you anything about, I mean, you were very young, so it's not like, you know, even that, you know, your memory might not even be that, that sharp at that point, but did he ever tell you anything about your mom directly from your dad?
1: I got to be honest with you at five years old. I, I don't remember, you yeah. know, I don't, I, I actually don't even have that much of a recollection of my dad. Yeah. Um, and later on, everybody will understand why as well. Um, I don't have too much of a, of a memory of him. I, I have some photos. I don't recall any conversations. Uh Um, I don't recall too many occasions, you know, even birthdays and things like that. It's just, just a blur for me, uh, unfortunately in that time.
0: How was the news broken to you about your dad? Uh,
1: I, I, that's another thing that I don't remember. All I remember is, um, you know i was obviously living with my dad and my stepmom and my my little sister but all i remember was all of a sudden you know i i was living with my grandparents you know uh i just you know they said hey this is this is where you're going to be living now um and i don't have any recollection uh honestly of how it happened I, the story was told to me obviously later yeah. on in life as i was a teenager um and things like that but i um I I can't say I recall any any information that was given to me back then.
0: So now reflecting on that, just, you know, where you are in life now, um, how does that make you feel that, you know, you never really got to know your parents? Do you ever kind of dwell back on that? Or was that just kind of, you know, something that um, you we're able to transition to, and we're going to talk about your grandparents, obviously, and we're going to move there. But, um, you know, do you ever kind of think about that now, or is that something that you've worked through over the course of your lifetime and kind of accepted that, you know, the circumstances are what they were? Yeah. I mean, I
1: can't lie to you. There were, there were times where, you know, I thought about it and, you know, and, 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 you know, the kids, right. As I'm growing up and going through school and the kids talking about their parents, their parents, their parents, and, uh, you know, my dad did this and my dad did that, you know, and and I was always saying my granddad, my uh-huh. granddad did this, my grandparent did this. And then, you know, then you get the the questions in school, yeah, like, you know, like, hey, why, why, why do your grandparents always come to parent teachers, teachers uh-huh. night, you know, and your parents don't, you know. So um, it was also something that I didn't like to talk about a lot um, as well, because I'm just one of those people that uh, I don't like pity. you know and and, you know when you hear the word orphan you know us as human beings like the the natural thing is just to you know feel pity and and want to support and help and uh, as i was growing up i didn't really uh like that you know people extending the hand and just feeling sorry for me so it was something that as i grew up um i didn't talk about it and the reason a lot of people didn't know that um, as you kind of you know alluded to, my grandparents mm-hmm. at, at at some point, and I can't remember when. At some point, I I started referring to them as my parents, right? Yeah. Because they were the ones that raised me, right? They they were the ones that from the from five years old to now, uh, kind of took care of me. Um, so as I was having those conversations, and kids started asking, I would say, hey, yeah, my dad's coming, my mom's coming. You know, I wouldn't say that you know uh it was my grandparents obviously unless it was like a family member family members obviously knew the truth but i i kind of hid it to be yeah. honest with you
0: yeah i remember you had mentioned that to me when we first spoke and, and you were talking about the relationship that you nurtured with your grandparents and how you know given the circumstances from what i gathered from you is they did everything possible to make sure that you know despite the fact that it was um you know, an extraordinary situation that you were um, not feeling like you didn't have everything that you needed, um, you know, as you were growing up. And I think that's, you know, really special. So let's talk a little bit about them. Let's talk about, you know, who they were, uh, your grandma and grandpa and kind of the dynamic that they had, Um, you know, were they only taking care of you? I imagine their children were probably grown at that time. I don't know if they had any other children, but if we could talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. They, you know, they, my, um, my dad, my grandfather, my dad, uh, he, you know, he has, you know, several kids besides my, my biological dad who had passed away. Um, one of which, um, you know, grew up here as well. So we grew up together. Um, and who, you know, who's technically my uncle, right at that point. But, um, I never saw him as my uncle. Like I never referred to him as my uncle. Uh, to me, he was my brother. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. because they raised they raised me together with him, and um, they. I have to say, you know, very, very, very humble uh, people. Uh, not well off by far. My my mom she used to work in a lot of factories, you know, um, for coats and garments and things like that in, in New Jersey. Girl, as I was growing up, uh, and then my dad was a, a super of the building that we lived in, uh, for about 35 years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, didn't make a lot of money, right. Uh, was always working seven days a week. Um, but you know, those, those two always made sure that there was always food on the table. Uh, I was always well-dressed, always bathed, always had, you know, the top of the line video games, right. Whatever video games came out, they made sure that, you know, I had it, you know, I was, I was, one, I was a kid that in my neighborhood, <clears throat> a lot of the kids were always outside hanging out. Yeah. Um, I wasn't one of those. I was, I was, either, you could find me in either one or two places. I would either be in my house playing, you know, video games and, you know, all my friends would be coming over or we would be at the park, you know, playing baseball, um, playing basketball and things like that, but not never just hanging out outside on the block. Yeah. It was just something that um, you know, they they didn't want me to do because they know, you know, the things that were out there. You know, I grew up in Washington yeah. Heights where uh the block where I grew up in was mm-hmm. like it was I I can never say it was like the ghetto, right? It was yeah. it was a very nice neighborhood, very quiet. But, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Washington Heights, literally two blocks down was yeah. trouble. You know yeah. what I mean? You could you could easily so you were find two trouble. blocks
0: away from <clears throat> Where two it blocks all go
1: south. yeah and I always had to walk through those two blocks you know yeah. it's like always had to pass by but I knew the I knew the guys I was friendly with all of them and things like that so they 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 made sure that I had everything at home so that I didn't have to go out there to you know go do whatever you know other kids were doing you know um getting in trouble and things like that so they always made sure I had money in my pocket as I went to school so that I could buy you know my slice of pizza after school get snacks and things like that so um i you know i i had a i had a very very good childhood um yeah. for somebody that didn't have his you know his biological parents for sure
0: from from what you can recall over the course of your childhood were there ever any moments where you know perhaps there was a breakdown i mean look they assumed a child essentially um uh, through some very unfortunate circumstances they lost their own son Um, and, and that must be very difficult. Um, and, you know, even yourself as a child, um, perhaps you adjusted, um, but was there ever any moment where, you know, there was just some sort of tension around, like, I'm, I'm, my, my grandparents are doing the best to give me a normal life, but something is missing. Um, was that, did that ever happen? Or, you know, was it just seamlessly kind of integrated into your life? It
1: was, yeah, it was, I have to say it was pretty seamless. Um, You know, obviously as every family goes through, there's always, you know, peaks and valleys, right? There's always arguments here. There's always, you know, um, things that pop up, you know, fights between me and my, me and my brother, you know, Um, I, man, I still feel, I still feel really bad. One day I, uh, him him and I got into a, a little shoving match and he. He, uh, he kind of punched me in my face and gave me a bloody nose, right? And, you know, I just was crying. I was on the side, you know, and just kept quiet. So then I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get revenge on him, you know? One day, sure enough, he was sleeping. He, we were in the same room. He was sleeping in the, in the bed afterwards. Uh, uh, and sorry, next door to me. And I got up. I was ready to go to school, got my stuff on, make sure my book back was by the door. Uh, and I literally kicked him in the face <laughs> <laughs> and ran out and just like, you know, he, he was, uh, right away bleeding from his teeth and I ran out the house and I went to school, but I knew that when I was coming home, <laughs> it was gonna, you know, it was gonna, so it you was were gonna, gonna hear be... it when you got home. Oh yeah. I was, I was definitely going to hear it. I was definitely punished for a very, very long time, but you know, things like that is, you know, brother, we love, you know, get into fights and things like that. But, um, I can't say that it was like tension growing up is you know there's obviously tension with some of the other family members yeah. and things like that but we we all stay that as a small group you know like we have a we have a very large family but we always like to just stay with you know within ourselves and stay out of trouble and we just don't like talking about other we never like you know that's one thing my dad always said he, he never liked talking about other people they didn't like to get involved in other people's business you mm-hmm. know unless they brought it to him and they mm-hmm. asked him for for you know kind of advice other than that, we kind of kept to ourselves and, you know, with our friends and close and close family and, and things like that. But no, it was I can't say there was tension along the way.
0: Got it. And um, how about you personally from just a self-esteem confidence level? Um, you know, did you ever struggle from that perspective? Uh, you know, we as young children, a lot of us do. I mean, a lot of young children suffer from it just from not fitting in for, you know, other reasons. and. You know, you had uh, uh, quite um, a lift on your shoulder that maybe your grandparents did a very good job of, you know, making you feel like, hey, like this is, you know, this is going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. But were were there any sort of issues from that perspective psychologically um, at a young age or never, you know, felt, you know, any sort of downturn self-esteem wise?
1: No, to be honest with you, I got to say, no, I, I never that I I never experienced that because like I said, they made sure that I was well taken care of. I, you know, if I ever asked for anything, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes it was like, you know, not a no, but not a right now, you know, but then I would eventually get it. And, you know, they just made sure I was very active. I love baseball. So my dad would always take me to baseball games, you know, big Yankee fans. We, we, you know, living, living in Washington Heights, we were very close to Yankee stadium. We would uh, sometimes walk over or take the bus um so I, no I can't say I always had you know a, a nice TV in my room um had you know the equipment I needed to play my sports had the sneakers had the clothes um had really good friends you know growing up and no I can't say that I I I experienced any you know anything like that growing up as a kid later on in life yeah. you start re- you start reflecting and you're just like oh man yeah. you know well I mean not, that- not in the moment
0: yeah, the reason I ask is because um, we're going to get to those later stages, and I wanted to know, um, you know, if it was, you know, something that you had um, started to reflect on at an earlier part of your life, or you know, the reflections kind of came on later. So let's kind of talk a little bit more around, you know, what happened with your grandparents um, a- as you grew up, and then we'll segue into some of the learnings that you got from them in their lifetime. So h- how did life proceed with with your grandparents from there?
1: Oh, well, you know, I was much closer with my, my, my grandfather, obviously my dad, um, because, you know, we had so much in common, right? We love sports, love baseball. Um, and he was kind of like my, my, my motivator, my coach. Uh, you know, he would take me to the games. He'd, you know, teach me how to play the game correctly. Um, but not only that, he would teach me, he would teach me the right things in life, right? You know, he'd al- he'd always talk to me like, you know, it's a couple things he would always say to me, he's like, you never let anybody else outwork you. Right. You're always got to be the hardest working person in the room. Uh, you also, you also let people know that your word, um, is valuable. Right. So he's a, you know, he was just like, even, to this day, I'm the same way. I'm like, if I shake your hand and I tell you something, you can take that to the grave, right? Like, you know, your, your word is very valuable that you're only as good as your word, right. A man is only as, um, uh, trustworthy as, as he, you know, comes across to people, but he always instilled all those values to me, always super. One thing he always has said to hate, hey, you know, uh, in our culture, you know, and I hate to put it on our, in our culture, but in our culture, we, the men haven't always had like the best reputation of how to, you know, possibly treat women or having mm-hmm. multiple, having multiple relationships and multiple families, you know, back in Dominican Republic, but, you know, he, he always taught me like, you respect women, right? You, you always, your women are the Queens, right? And we are here. They're not here to serve us. We're here to work together to create, you know, harmony in our family and things like that. And we support them as much as possible. But you, you always respect women, you never disrespect them. And he said, that's why your dad, You know, he would tell me um, as later on in life, he's like, "That's why your dad's not here, unfortunately, right?" Because he saw that somebody was disrespecting a queen, and he, you know, took it upon himself to kind of, you know, jump in the situation, putting himself at risk, right? Not knowing what was going to happen ultimately, but um, you know, those are the kind of values he instilled in me. Was like, you know, always work hard, uh, be a man of your word, uh, respect women, but not not just women, but just people in general, right? Respect others. Uh, respect others' beliefs, right? Even if you don't agree with them, uh, it's okay, right? We can all have, you know, different opinions, but you, re- you respect it, you know, and you just treat people treat people well, you know, like know that you should treat people that the way you want to be treated, the way you want your mom to be treated, you know, way you want your wife to be treated or anybody else in your family. So those are kind of the, the the lessons that, you know, I grew up with. And I, you know, I, and I'm taking, I'm taking that every single day, right. As I, as, as I, as I, uh, continue this, this path. Um, uh, and then my mom, my grandma, uh, I'm actually closer with her now, mm-hmm. you know, um, than when I was, you know, growing up just cause I had such a bond, um, with him, but the reason I'm so closer, uh, I'm much closer with her now is because, you know, unfortunately he passed away, he's not around anymore. Right. So, yeah. um, You know, his spirit lives through her, right? And and, um, there's one thing that he told me on his deathbed, you know, um, and he said to me, he's like, you got to make me a promise. And I said, what what do you need? He's like, you got to make sure you take care of her always. You know, so that's a promise that I am keeping to this day and I will keep until, you know, until I can't any longer, until Mm -hmm. I'm not no longer on this earth. So her and I are, are very close. We, you know, we chat pretty much every night. Sometimes she gets a little upset at me because I like fall asleep because I'm tired from work and I forget to call her. And then she leaves me a voicemail, but you know, well, we're, we are much closer now. I was much closer with him, you know, when I was growing up.
0: And and how did he pass away? Oh man. Uh, it started
1: with, so my dad, well, a lot of people, again, in our culture, uh, believe in home remedies, right? Yeah. So Dominican Dominicans are big into home remedies, right? They're like, "Hey, I'll have a tea for that," or "I have something that you could rub," you know. And they they don't they don't like to kind of use the the medicine um, uh, field as much as as they should. So my dad was somebody that you know he was he was overweight, right? Um, yeah. Pretty much his entire life. Um he used to be a, a, a semi pro baseball player too. And after that, he just like gained weight and you know just stayed overweight. Um and he just never took care of himself, right? He never went to the doctor, never, never had any checkups. Like he never really wanted to do that. So uh what happened was uh one time during uh 9-11, right? Uh I was downtown and my mom was downtown and he you know obviously the tragedy happened and he couldn't uh get a hold of us right because cell phones weren't working right we couldn't do anything we couldn't get a hold of anybody so he uh unfortunately put himself into you know he had a, a a stroke had a heart attack uh so he got you know he got hospitalized I remember coming home that night you know knocking on the door and you know my my mom was there and she's like he's in the hospital. We got to go. And, and I was like, wait, what happened? And they explained me the whole, they explained the whole story to me, but that right there was like the beginning of, uh, you know, his body deteriorating, uh, because he hadn't been taking care of himself. So from there, you know, uh, he was diabetic, obviously. Yeah. Um, so he just started losing, you know, functions, right. So he started with his kidney functions, started going out, uh, we had to put him on dialysis where I had to wake up, you know, every morning uh, before I went to work, I had to wake up every morning and take him to, you know, dialysis, uh, four o'clock in the morning and things like that. So we started with that. Then it started with him, you know, getting gangrene um, on his feet, you know, and obviously started to, you know, started amputating his toes, then his then his feet, then the, then the foot, you know, the, the leg and, and things like that. So just, you know, Diabetes, little by little, just you know, just took his life. And um, I remember, you know, one night I was home uh, sleeping. I was actually, it was probably two o'clock in the morning, and I was gonna wake up at four to go take him to dialysis. I still remember this was just a Friday evening going into Saturday morning, and I just get a call from my mom, frantic. I I didn't understand a word she's saying on the phone. couldn't, she, she wasn't speaking English. She wasn't speaking Spanish. Hmm. She was just screaming on the phone. And, you know, all she said is like, the only thing I understood is like, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. So I just put on sneakers and I run. I, at this point, I was living on my own, uh, but I was literally only like five blocks away from them. Yeah. So uh, Detroit, I just ran from my house to their house. I couldn't tell you. If there was traffic I couldn't tell you if there was cars i don't remember i was running in the middle of the street i could have i could have easily got run over by a car but i didn't care because i just needed to get there as quick as possible and i remember just getting there and you know obviously i have keys to the apartment i go and i run upstairs and she's like just i just hear her crying in the bedroom and i run to the bedroom and i just see him you know lying in bed you know um and not moving and not not being responsive so you know at the time uh I was not CPR certified yeah um but I am you know I am now um but I had seen videos I had seen movies on how to you know c- try to conduct CPR and you know sure enough I was you know trying to you know breathe in his mouth and you know um giving him the pulses and things like that so it was tough you know, I I always say, uh, you know, I'm sort cert- of I'm CPR certified. And that's one of those certifications you never want to put to use in your life ever. Uh, unfortunately, I had to put it, you know, to use um, before and to see my dad there lay lie down and, and have no life, not being receptive to anything. You know, finally, the ambulance had gotten there and they put oxygen on him and they took him and, you know, he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, he was still alive, but, um, he was pr- pretty much, he was pretty much brain dead because he didn't have any oxygen, you know, going into right his right. brain. Yeah. So he was in a coma for, um, I think it was like 12 days, 12 or 13 days. And, um, I remember sleeping in the hospital and in the, in the waiting room and, you know, I had told my mom to go home. She had been there for like five days in a row. And I said, Hey, go home me to shower, relax, go sleep in the bed and things like that and i send her home and next thing you know i'm being tapped by one of the nurses um middle of the night and you know they gave me the bad news that you know he had passed away and i i i didn't know how to call my mom i i like i i didn't know what to say because i i kind of felt a little responsible obviously not i I'm not but i felt because like she was here she didn't want to go home and i and i made her go home yeah you know and then all of a sudden she lost her you know her husband of you know 30 plus years um so that was a, that was a tough phone call you know i i basically just told her hey when 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 you have a chance you know take a shower kid come in change uh the nurse has something to say to you so yeah. i didn't tell her over the phone obviously yeah um because i already knew what was gonna happen she was gonna break down and you know god knows what was happening so we waited till she got to the hospital and you know we told her and sure enough it was uh it was tough super tough for the entire family because he was he was the head of the family he was the one that took care of us he's the one we we look forward to guidance um and you know he was he was my heart he was my everything he was my coach he was my 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 muse, my idol, like everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've you've already shared um, a lot of the lessons that he's taught you. Um, how would you characterize his legacy? Um, you know, in, in terms of um, the deep impact that he's had on just the people around him—not just you, but his his wife, your grandma. Um, you know, um, what do you most remember him for?
1: It's just, he's, he's a, he's a person that to this day, when his name comes up, Mm -hmm. there is not one negative thing said about him. You know, it's always, it's always positive memories, you know, always like, Hey, I remember when he took me to, you know, my first uh, roller coaster, or he took us to the first Yankee game or, you know, I I remember one time where I didn't have any money and I didn't have anything to eat. And he's, you know, he invited me over and he said, Hey, you know, help yourself while, you know, he was just always, you know, helping others, supporting others, uplifting others. Um, and it's just one thing that, you know, I, I, I try to live my life by him. Um, nobody will ever say anything negative about that, man. And not just cause he's moved on, yeah. but that's just cause even when, you know, when he was alive, he, he, he didn't, he never did anything to anybody. Um, other than, you know, trying to be positive and uplift them, you know, and, and I I, I kinda I, I kinda I kinda I'm kinda proud that I, you know, I, I'm somebody that's very humble. I don't like talking about myself too much, you know. Uh even this is the first time I've I'm sharing my story publicly. Yeah. You know, my, my close friends know about it and things like that. But um, you know, I like to say that I'm the same way, right? There's uh one of my friend, one of my really good friends, Aziz. Um, he always says, you know, there was one person that asked him, hey. We we I I want you to do something with with Darren. I want you to meet Darren, and we sure. want to do this event. And then he's like, he's like, oh well, I don't think Darren, I don't think Darren messes with me. I don't think he likes me. So my friend Aziz says to him, "What did you do to him?" Huh. You know, because because he he says, you know, Aziz says, like, if there's if Darren if you say that Darren doesn't like anybody or or he doesn't mess with anybody, you most certainly did something to him. Or you did something to one of his family members, or something like that, because he likes everybody, right? He right. gives everybody he gives everybody the benefit of the doubt until you prove him wrong, right? So, yeah. and that's one of my things too. Like, uh, you know, my dad was the same way. We're loyal to a fault. We're yeah. super loyal, and then you know, obviously, we've gotten burned uh, yeah. by people, but um, that's never changed my characteristic of loyalty, right? I, I, you know, if if you're in my circle and you're my people, I'm super loyal um, until you prove otherwise. But yeah. let me tell you. You know, I am a Scorpio. Once, huh. once my wife once is a Scorpio,
0: so just <laughs> watch out.
1: <laughs> so you see, but I don't have all the characteristics of Scorpio. People always tell me I'm not a typical Scorpio. But one of the characteristics is, hey, once you once you break the trust, it's broken.
0: Like yeah. it's
1: it's it's done. Right? You, I could stay cordial with you, yeah. but you'll you'll never get back in my circle again once you yeah. break that. You know that trust.
0: Yeah. No, I I, I hear you, and that's something that's kind of um evident in, in meeting you is that you approach people with the with the thought that you know people are genuinely good you know give me a reason to believe you're not good um sure. and and so um you know that, that that's that's the way that i like to approach relationships in general i always try to see the best in people and kind of walk into any sort of dynamic assuming that we are naturally good people um and then you know, as circumstances play out, um, you know, true colors come to life. Um, and so one thing that kind of stands out from all this is your grandpa stepped in for your father and now you stepped in for your grandpa. And so it says a lot about, um, the dynamic of, of your family and, and kind of the commitment to responsibility and, and the, um, the hard driven belief in in, in taking care of your family and loved ones and, and and kind of those commitments. And and I think that, you know, uh, a lot of people could say it's commendable, but I think to you, it it was a no brainer. It's not a matter of doing the honorable thing. It's just more around like, this is how, this is how we live. And, and so, um, you know, I want to kind of now pick it up from there. Your grandfather passed away and I have to imagine and correct me if I'm wrong to that point in your life, despite the fact that you had lost, your biological parents much earlier in life that had to have been one of the more difficult moments of your life, you know, at that age, is that correct? losing your uh, grandpa? It, w-
1: it was, it uh, was to the point where um, it put me in a very, very dark space. Right. So as I said, you know, he was my coach. He was the one that kept me active in sports and things like that. I was always in pretty good shape growing up. Uh, then when he passed away um, I went into a dark space. I went into, Uh, a deep depression, uh, stopped playing sports, stopped caring about everything um, to the point where I I then became obese and I I ballooned up uh, pretty heavy. Um, And I didn't, that was the point where I didn't really care too much about anything in life. You know, like he was gone. Uh, Yeah. My mom was still there. Right. Uh, But like I said, at the time, I didn't have the relationship with her as much, you know, as close. But, you know, throughout time and, and you know, we've, we've developed that and it's, it's amazing. Um, but, yes, very, very tough time for me. Uh, just stopped giving about everything. Just basically started eating. Like I was just eating away my feelings. You know, my friends wanted to, hey, let's go do this. And I'm like, no, I would just want to go home and just like watch TV and just like do nothing. And, 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 and you know, uh, just not I wasn't in a good place mentally. Yeah. Um, And just very distance from any social gatherings or any social events and things like that. Literally, sometimes my 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 family would have to like my cousins have to like drag me to take me somewhere, you know. Um, But yeah, very one of the toughest times in my life that actually in a little bit will segue. It got even tougher. You know, I got even tougher on top of that.
0: At what stage in life were you when your grandpa passed away? Were you still, you know, in, in school? Were you an adult at that point? Just for context for the listeners.
1: Uh, I was an adult already. I was out, okay. of, out of
0: school already. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. So you were an adult at that point. And, yeah. um, you know, I, well, we're obviously going to dive into um, the the, um, the health aspect of it. But had at any point in your life before that, had you had a relationship or a negative relationship with food or, or put on excess weight? Or was that the first time in your life that you kind of ballooned? That and was I, the first time in, my, first time in if, my life, yeah. And if I recall correctly, you had gone up to over 300 pounds at that point?
1: Not exactly at that point. At okay. that point, I, I I got up to about, I want to say maybe about 275, 280. Okay, cool. Uh, 275, 280, you know, I'm five nine. Yeah. 275, 280 is not, you know... That doesn't, I don't, you can't hide it.
0: It doesn't. Yeah, it's, you can't, it can't. definitely. And I've, you recently shared uh, some old pictures that I, I saw and I was able to kind of get a picture uh, of what that may have looked like. Um, so you're going through this spiral now. What transpires from there?
1: So, like I said, you know, it was a dark place in my life, but that got darker. So time, you know, time went on I just, several years, you know, and I'm just overweight, not, not caring about anything. Um, And then I I remember at this point in my life, I was working at Apple, Mm -hmm. right? And I was working back a house and there was an area where the break room was to the lockers and literally, for sure, it was like two steps. It's just like literally two steps. You go up, um, nothing major, right? And I got to a point where one day I took those two steps and I was out of breath, like Mm -hmm. literally out of breath. Like I was like, whew. You know, I was had a, I had like bend down, hold hold myself, and I said to myself, "I can't do this anymore, right? I uh, I need to do something about this, right? I need to g- regain my life back." Uh, so sure enough, I you know started working out. You know, I started to you know obviously as every uneducated person in in, in you know uh, when it comes to fitness, what do we go, always go to? We go to cardio, right? Yeah. So every everybody just goes to cardio. Uh, and that's what we do. So I started, you know, doing cardio like speed walking on a treadmill and things like that. So I would try, but it, it wouldn't last long, right? Yeah. Do it for maybe 10, 15 minutes, just because I was having a very hard time breathing, right? Uh, I'm thinking I'm having a hard time breathing. I'm an I'm an obese man, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's it's hard to breathe, right? You're putting a lot of a lot of pressure on your on, on your lungs, right? Yeah. Because of all this extra weight. Um, So one day I'm having this conversation with my friend in the break room and I'm, you know, and I'm saying to him like, hey, you know, I'm trying, but, you know, I could see why always people give up because it's just super hard. And he goes, he goes, well, what's the problem? I said, well, you know, I can't breathe from one side of my nose. So it just makes it very hard. So I have to stop. He's like, well, I remember you always told me you used to get a bloody nose when you were a kid. Right. You know, and I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, I used to play sports. So a lot of times I would just wake up and I'd be bleeding. He's like you might've broke your You might've broke your nose as a kid. Right. Hmm. And you might have a deviated septum. So I said to him, a de- well, a what means <laughs> like a deviated septum, the septum's in the back of your nose. And if you broke your nose, sometimes it's, you know, it's deviated to the side and it's blocking your passageway and things like that. So I was like, huh? Okay. Well, well how do I check that? And then he, you know, he's like, you need to go to ear, nose and throat doctor to, yeah. to get it checked. So sure enough, I said, okay, you know what? I don't think it's that I think I'm just fat. So but I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go check it out anyway.
0: Approximately know? how long into that kind of fitness rejuvenation was it? Was it like two weeks in the gym, three weeks in the gym, or was it like,
1: uh, maybe 10 days.
0: So 10 days in the gym. And yeah. you know, I, the reason why this is important is because for a lot of people in those circumstances, whether or not they have up or whether or not they're happy with where they are in terms of their fitness level, a lot of times the the number one obstacle really is what's going on in your head mm-hmm. more so than uh, perhaps, you know, feeling you're at like, you're out of breath, you know? And, and so uh, I, it's interesting to me that you acknowledge the physical obstacle um, that quick, because I feel like a lot of people would have just kind of uh, shoot it in as like, I, I'm I'm never gonna be good at this. Or like, right. you know, like there's no so that was kind of an interesting thing for me that, that you kind of pointed out. So um now you're looking at meeting with ENTs. What happens yes. there?
1: So I I I find an ENT um, which was very near the Apple store where where I was, uh Dr. Clark Wan, and I go, um, and one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever experienced, he puts his camera right down my nose. Um, and it's just so uncomfortable, right? Um, you know, they put a little bit of, uh, uh, cream to try to numb it a little bit, but it's still very uncomfortable. Sure enough, he pulls the camera out and I say, Hey, what do you think doc? You know, um, is is it a deviated septum? He's like, "Yep, for sure. It's definitely a deviated septum. However, I need a CAT scan because I need to see really how bad it is. Right. And I said, great. How do we do that? He's like, well, you know, we have an appointment available in two days. Can you make it? And I said, yeah, for sure. Let's, you know, let's do that. So went, got the CAT scan uh, on a Wednesday. I remember this. Uh, And I said, "Okay, how long? How long till we get the, uh, you know, the images back? He said, approximately about two days. I said, "Okay, great. So I should hear from you Friday. Sure. good. I happened to be home that day. Um, I was at work. I was at home. Sorry. uh, I was off from work. And I remember getting a call and uh, the doctor says, Hey Mr. Moda, how are you? I say, Hey doc, how you doing? Uh how how bad is the uh the deviated septum? He's like, That's pretty bad. I said, Oh, okay, cool. He's like, But we got a bigger issue. I said, What what do you mean? A bigger issue than the deviated septum? Like what, what are you talking about? And he's like, Yeah, Mr. Moda, are you are you sitting down? And I said, am I sitting down for what? Like what are you what are you talking about? He said, "Hey, Mister Mota, I uh, just gotta let you know that you know when we took the CAT scan, we also saw a big shadow, um, by your brain." And I said, "A big shadow by my brain. What does what does that mean?" He said, "Mister Mota, you you have you have quite a large brain tumor happening right about now." I said, "I'm sorry, Doc. I I think you're calling the wrong person." Because I literally just went in there for a deviated septum. What are you telling me that I have a brain tumor? What are you talking about? And he's like, Mr. Moda, you have a large brain tumor, probably approximately about the size of a baseball. And you need to get that checked out like ASAP before we even worry about your deviated septum. And Beshoy, I start crying like a five-year-old at this point. I'm like, there's no way. like. What else? What else is gonna happen in my life, right? Like, what, like what? What else are you gonna throw at me now? You know what I mean? So now I'm, I'm gonna, I'm obese. Now you know, uh, you're telling me I have a, a, a large brain tumor, and I said, so after I, I finished crying for about two minutes, and he stayed on the phone, he wouldn't let me go. He, um, says to me, hey, one of my best friends is uh, one of the best neurosurgeons in the United States. I need you. I would love for you to you know go see him right um and i said okay sure give me the give me the number give me the uh i'll give him a call so gave him a call went to meet with him uh dr john bookvar is his name uh at the time he was at uh cornell hospital and um sure enough he said he saw the cat scan he said yeah he's so he looked at me and he said he's like you know, you didn't feel anything. Do you have any headaches or anything like that? And I was like, no. He's like, okay. He's like, I need a better image. So I need to put you in an in MRI so we can yeah. kind of take a look at better. He's like, great. Got the MRI. Then he calls me back and I said, hey, you know, um, how is it? He's like, it's pretty bad. He he said to me, then, he, or he asked me, Mr. Tomoto, have you ever blacked out? I said, what do you mean blacked out? Like fainted or something like that. He goes, no, no, no. Have you ever woken up or ever just like lost vision, like just saw black and you couldn't see anything? Have you seen things just floating in your face, in your eyes and you know flashes of light or anything? And I said to him, no, nothing that I can think of. I said, you know, occasionally I see like things floating in my eyes and, and I'm thinking that's just stuff in my eyes, but it's 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 not right. He's like. Uh, you are one of the luckiest people I've ever met in my life. I said, what do you, what do you mean? Why? He's like, Mr. Moda, this tumor is totally crushing your optical nerve. He said, I don't know how you have not lost your eyesight. You should be blind by now. Um, And if you're this lucky not to have gone blind, you would probably lose your eyesight within the next year or so. You would probably wake up one day and not be able to see. So that was just like, woof, you know, um, put me in a in a much worse place than I was before. Yeah. You know, I was already uh deep dark because of my dad. But this uh, you know, getting that news was not, I didn't take it well. You know, um, I started thinking about, you know, and, and as I was growing up, You would always hear about people thinking about, you know, taking their lives and suicide and things like that. And I would be like, why? Why would people want to do that? Like, life is great. You know what I mean?
0: Um, And that's crazy coming from you. Yeah. Like, despite everything that you had gone through, you still had this understanding that life was precious and that was valuable. And why would anyone take their own life? And then here you are. And honestly, you know, for the listeners out there, I knew this story before, but i I still kind of get the goosebumps that you can't even you can kind of see it through the screen here, just hearing it again because it's it's like life is coming at you and say and saying, you know you're you're dealing with obesity, you've dealt with tragedy, um we're gonna keep giving you one spark of bad news after the other, like show me what you got, Darren. Let's let's see what you got out there, to the point and to the brink of you know. Now we're talking about some of these thoughts that had been going through your head. So, um, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of you know those thoughts coming through and and what happened there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I went. You know, I I thought I was dark, but I went into a much darker place where I started thinking about you know taking my life. Um why, you know, why continue this? Right. Cause it's just going to be tragedy after tragedy, after tragedy, you know, like I was just born to deal with tragedy. Right. Um, I I literally start, you know, at the time, my, my brother uh, who I grew up with, obviously, you know, he has, you know, he has uh, daughters. So I literally start writing a will and writing uh, all my investment, my, my bank account. Mm-hmm. And I start putting in, I start putting it in their names. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, because I was seriously, you know, contemplating it never got to the point where I attempted it, you know, yeah. or, or anything like that. It was just thoughts in my, in, in my, in my mind. And then, um, you know, one day I wake up and I said, you know, I, I saw, I I know the pain I went through knowing, you know, when, when, when I, when I suffered you know, loss of life that was very near and dear to me, my dad would not do this. He would not want me to put the family through more pain because of me being selfish and, 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 and taking my own life and, and things like that. So you know, when you say, you know, uh, how I, you know, carry my dad's legacy, that was like one day I woke up and like, wow, I think it was a dream that I had. And he was just like, you're better than that. You're not, you're going to, you're a fighter. I raised you to be a fighter. And, you know, I just woke up and I said, let's do it. You know, so I called the doctor and um, I said to him, hey, what are our options? What do we, what do, we do? How do? How do we beat this if we can Um, he said, okay, well, we have two options. And I said, okay, great. What's option one? He said, option one is I can put you on a very strong medication um, for the rest of your life where where we try to shrink the the tumor down to a point where it's taking the pressure off your optical nerve. um, And we could do that, right? And I said to him, okay, doc, so if we do that, are you guaranteeing me that I am not gonna go blind? He says to me, "No, I can't guarantee you." I said, "Okay then. Well then, option A is out the window. We're not going to worry about option A. What's option B?" Right. So option B is like, "Well, we can, you know, we can have surgery and, and and remove it." I said, "Great." Then we're going with option B. He said, "Okay, but we have one big problem." I said, "What's the problem?" <laughs> He's like, "Well, because it is crushing your optical nerve so much, I don't feel comfortable." you know, uh, performing surgery right now because I may cause you to go blind. You know, Mm -hmm. I may hit that optical nerve where it causes you to lose your eyesight. So I am not comfortable doing that. And I said, but you just told me there was two options. Now you're really telling me there really isn't another option. So what do we do? So he said, well, what we we have to do is for me to feel comfortable is to put you on medication to hopefully shrink it you know to a point where it kind of alleviates the pressure from your optical nerve and then i feel comfortable enough to Mm -hmm. go in there and then i can go in there and remove it i said okay let's do it he said i gotta warn you though there are a lot of side effects with this medicine right because just think about it it's shrinking a tumor right so uh there's a lot of uh side effects with this i said i'm ready to take on any and all of them right and sure enough there was, you know, lack of sleep, you know, diarrhea, vomiting, you know, yeah. it was, a lot, it was a lot. So this was this was December 2012, 2012, I think it was December 2012. Um, and three years, you know, three. Uh, he wanted to see me in 60 days. Yeah. Uh, so in 60 days i went to see him in the middle of, of february of 2013 mm-hmm. and uh he took an mri and he looked at me and he smiles i see him with this big smile and i'm like you're smiling he goes i feel comfortable you know you know operating. performing surgery operating now like i said great let's do it when when i said you know how many how long do i have to wait he said he literally looked at me. He goes, "I have a, I have, I have an appointment available thirty days from today." I said, "Let's do it. Sign me up. Let's go ahead and do that." So, mind you, throughout all this time, when I found out I had a tumor, and I'm about to go into, you know, I already scheduled surgery. Didn't tell my mom anything. Yeah, D- didn't tell her. Kept it away from her because I know, you know, uh, how that how that would affect her, and how you know. I didn't want her to have to deal with that. I literally didn't tell her until a week before the surgery. Wow. Uh, safe to say she wasn't very happy, mm-hmm. but I was okay with that. Yeah, I'd rather her not be happy with me for a week, Yeah, you know, than for her to be worried for, you know, a couple of months. Um, so, you know, fast forward to the day of the surgery, uh, March 11th, uh, 2013. And um, remember why they found out that I had a brain tumor was because I had to go for an ENT Devi- for my deviated septum. Yeah. Deviated septum. Right. So my, so uh, Dr. Bookmar says, Hey, so I said to him, I said, Hey, am I going to have a big scar? La, da, da, da. He goes, you have a lot of things <laughs> you're unlucky with, but one <laughs> thing that you're really lucky with is that it's so close to your eyes. The uh, The easiest way to get to it is for me to go through your nose. Wow. And I said, great. Fantastic. He's like, one problem. I said, Oh God, what? He's like, you still have that deviated septum. So I can't get to it. So he's like, I says, well, so are you telling me now we're going to postpone because yeah. I got to get a deviated septum? He goes, no, no, no. He said, Dr. Juan and I are really good friends. We performed this surgery many yeah. times. He is going to fix your deviated septum first, and then I'm going to go in there and, you know, pull the I'm tumor. The tumor. Yeah. So sure enough, that happens. Um, and all I remember is just waking up and just like tons of gauze just shoved up my nose. Yeah. Um, you know, well, cause obviously I have two surgeries, right? And now, yeah. now I'm, I'm recovering from the deviated septum plus the and a neurosurgery, the, the neurosurgery as well. So people ask me, so how long is, is, is the deviated septum? People ask me about the deviated septum. How long is the recovery? I was like, I can't tell you because I, I, I was dealing with much more, you know what I mean? So I don't know what part was the deviated septum? What part was the brain surgery? Like, I, I yeah. don't know, but, uh, it was not, it was not a recovery. I would want anybody to go. It was yeah. awful. Anybody. We talked
0: about this, um, when we had met and uh, I, I talk about the recovery period in, in break barriers when, when I came out of brain surgery too, it is, you don't wish that upon anybody being in that, in that recovery room. Um, because your body's in such a state of shock, um, and and the pain is, it, it's indescribable. To be honest, I mean, I, I don't really even know if I have the words um, to describe it. And um, it, it's it's interesting for all the listeners out there because, as you can tell, in in listening to Darren, there's a lot of strength deep within this man. Uh, but I'm sure you know, as as he's kind of alluding to now um, despite how much strength you have as a human individual, when you're coming out of something like that, um, you almost feel helpless. Um, and, and, and so, um, I, I appreciate that you shared that because it's just another voice out there to kind of let people understand, um, really kind of the breadth and depth of, of that kind of procedure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that recovery was not fun. I was home I was home from work for four months um, from Apple, you know, and God bless uh, insurance from these major corporations. You know, Apple insurance is amazing. I, you know, it was. Uh, I, I think the the whole procedure was like one hundred and sixty thousand dollars or something like that, and it cost me five hundred dollars deductible. <laughs> like, so
0: you it's know, insane. So it's
1: insane. Yeah, that, insane.
0: That, that actually kind of it brings me to my next question as all of this was going down, you know, from when you started talking to the, to the surgeons and, and, and then realized that, okay, like the medicine was working and um, that you could have the surgery to the recovery period and kind of being out of work for four months at that point in your life, you know, were all of your ambitions on hold? Did, you know, did you feel bad about that? Did you feel like, um, you know, life kind of stopped for you and, and that you were going to be reliant on on those around you. Fortunately, of course, like you mentioned, you had the health insurance to kind of help you through it. Um, but it was almost kind of like a status quo. It was a tough period to kind of build. It was more just survival mode at that point.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I didn't have too, I gotta be honest, I didn't have too many amb- ambitions mm-hmm. um, at the time. I just wanted to, you know, recover, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and get back to, My new normal, right? My new, you know, chubby, fat guy, you know, happy-go-lucky, get back to work and things like that. And ultimately, try to get back into shape, right? Uh, But the problem was uh, because of the surgery, right? Even when I got back to work, I had many restrictions. uh, One of which was that I couldn't do any physical activity really for about a year. Wow. uh because of the stitches that you know um i had inside god forbid if i try to lift anything heavy or got hit in the head i mm-hmm. could start hemorrhaging you know um and i could possibly lose my life he said you know the doctor told me like so you need to like not do anything physical so that put my um physical uh journey uh fitness journey uh on hold yeah. um so when you asked me earlier, when I had ballooned to, you know, I had ballooned to three hundred five, yeah. and I told you I was only like around two eighty. Yeah, this is the this is the time where I ballooned to three hundred five. Wow. Because um, literally, yeah, I was sitting still,
0: <laughs> recovering, sitting still, and um, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. And then when you're doing that, it's hard to settle for the salad too. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. An, you have every reason at that point to want to eat whatever whatever you want to eat, and kind yeah. of feel sorry for yourself too.
1: And from Dominican culture, you know, we love our carbs. We love our, you know, our, our heavy rice and Mm. potatoes and, you know, plantains and things like that. So, and everything's fried for the most part. So yeah, the the diet wasn't on point and I ballooned up. Um, And then fast forward, um, I went in to, I went in for like, I was going at the beginning. He wanted to see me every 30 days. Right. Then it became 60 days. Then it became every six months, then once a year and things like that. Now it's now I'm to a point where I, I don't I don't see him uh, for two years. So every I see him every two years. Uh, but I remember going to him. Um, this was probably. Oh, close to a year after surgery and uh, a little after the year, actually. Um, and I and, he, and I said to him, hey, when do you think I'm going to be cleared? you know, to do physical activity. Like I'm gaining more weight. Like I'm just, I I need to do something. Right. So, um, he gave me the clearance and he said, Hey, you know what? I feel good about it now. You've been, you know, post-op a little over a year, you know, you're good to get back into physical activity. Uh, but I highly suggest you go get a, a physical first, you know, before you get into anything, make sure that, you know, your, your, uh, your regular doctor clears you for that. Right. So, Sure enough, I go see my, I'm super happy when he tells me that. I go see my, I go see my regular doctor, you know, get blood work and get everything done. And he said, okay, you know, you've got you know, you are, you're clear. He's like, there's just one big red flag. And I said to him, what, what? He goes, Mr. Moto, you are literally, uh, so he asked me, the first thing he asked me, is like, Hey, do you know what, uh, the diabetic number is on the blood glucose scale? And I was like, no idea, sir. What, what is it? He goes, all right, if you're at 6.5, you're, you're diabetic. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. He's like, you, my friend are literally two cheeseburgers away from being diabetic. You're pre-diabetic. You're at, you're at 6.35. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? He's like, yes, you are on the verge of getting diabetes. Um, he said, but it's okay. You know, like people live with it through a, with their lives. You know, they got you. Get, you can get pills. You can get insulin. You know, and things like that. It's not something that's, got, you know, the end of 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 your everyday life. And and I looked at him and I said, "Sir, I, I I was taking care of my dad and I saw what diabetes did to him. Um, yeah, that won't be me. You know, that will not be me. He's also, what are you, you going to do? You're going to lose weight? I said, yes, sir, I will. He's like, okay, you know, that's a big big battle. I said, I'm up for it. You know, I'm up for the challenge. Uh, And literally the very next day, I went home and I cleared out the refrigerator. Like Mm. I threw all the soda out. I threw my biggest, my biggest vice when I was obese was orange juice.
0: Um,
1: I would literally drink so much, nothing but sugar. I would literally drink a 64 ounce Tropicana container every two days. So like I drink like half of that every day uh I cleared out everything. I start. I started eating well, started uh, you know, getting back on my uh, exercise routine. At the time, again, not educated, so it was, you know, started with cardio. But being 305, running wasn't really my thing um because yeah. of, you know, the impact on the joints and, sure. and things like that. So I actually bought myself a bike. Yeah. So I started, you know, I started bike riding uh little by little, right? Started with two, three miles, you know, started expanding to five. At the time I was living in Yonkers right by the West side highway. So I would go, you know, down the West side highway uh, to the bike path and then go back home and things like that. One day um, I got very uh, aggressive and I felt good and I just went too far. I went, <laughs> I went all the way from Yonkers all the way down to uh, the Staten Island Ferry. Um, About and 20-ish I- miles? 20, yeah, about 20 miles. Okay. M- just, Maybe not that much. Maybe like 15 or 16 miles. Got so it. Got it. Okay, yep. About 50, 15, 16 miles. But then now I got to think about the 15, 16 miles going back home. Right. Yeah. So I was just like, man, what am I going to do? I had left my wallet home. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ha- I had no money. Uh, I didn't have my Metro card with me or anything like that. So I was like, huh, boy, this is going to be tough. I was, I was already tired. So I uh, said, you know what? Let's do it, you know? And I got up and just started, took forever to get home. You know, it took me a couple hours to to, to get home I had to take various breaks. But, you know, after that, I was just like, you know what? I can do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I can do anything. And little by little, you know, I started going from 15 miles to 20, to 30, to 40, to 50, to 60 miles. I would literally ride around the city. And um, my, my goal was to lose 50 pounds in a year you know, yeah. which is a lot of work, um, and dedication. You need to do 50 pounds in a year. Um, I actually, on the, on the year anniversary, I hit exactly a hundred pounds. So I lost, I lost a hundred pounds, oh. um, in one year. Yeah. And that was not the goal, but man, I just got, I, I just got going. I was hooked. Uh, then, you know, I started, I started doing stories on Instagram, uh, not well at the time they weren't stories but i was just doing posts yeah. you know showing showing people like my, my waist size go. Yeah. yeah my progress and things like that and i was just doing it for myself but then yeah. you know i started getting messages from people like hey man you're so inspiring they keep going you know we're rooting for you you know like you know um we we, we saw your journey we saw you at your worst you know and now you know we, we're proud of you you know you didn't give up and things like that so then I plateaued, obviously, because all I was doing was cardio. And then I you know, spoke to a friend He's like, "Who's a personal trainer. And he said, man, you got to do some weights, man. Yeah, you got to you, you lift some weights. You got to get into weight training. And, you know, sure enough, got into weight training um, and, you know, went all the way down from 305. I got my lowest I ever got to was 175.
0: Wow. And what do uh, you at like now I'm, for context?
1: Well, well, right now I'm at 210. Yeah. But I mean... I've,
0: you guys are going to see the picture of him on on uh on the episode so it's a <laughs> it's a it's a lean mean healthy 210
1: yeah i'm i, I packed some muscle on the last uh, actually since the marathon cuz i ran the marathon yeah. last year so I, I i gained a lot of weight a lot of muscle since last year's marathon uh so i'm at 210 now um but yeah you know it was a uh it was a journey it was a lot of work a lot of sweat yeah. a lot of you know, before, remember when I remember when, when I was saying uh, when I was overweight, I was turning, you know, I wasn't very social, right? Yeah. I wasn't going. To, and then same thing, as I was losing my weight, same thing. I was not being social, but I was doing it because I didn't want to go drink. I didn't yeah. want to, you know, eat fried foods and things that like that. I, that, was that, was that was your period.
0: So, that was your zone. That was your zone. And and so, you know, one of the, I guess, premises of of the pod here is that, you know, that mile forty moment, and you've had several of them, but this one in particular, you know, where the doctor told you that you were pre-diabetic, I, you know, that was an immediate kind of click in your head. And I kind of wish that we could go back to that day for a second and kind of be inside your head and think about maybe that quick spiral of thoughts that went through your head about your grandfather and and what he had gone through and what that meant for you and how like that was the point of no return. And at that point, the switch kind of flipped and said like all right like enough is enough like at this point like i'm turning this shit around and i don't care who gets in my way i don't care if i got to close down i don't care if i got to do this alone i don't care you know if it's me against the world but like i am committing myself to doing this and it's not for vanity purposes it's not just for health purposes it's because you know enough is enough like i've 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 had enough and 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 now is my time to kind of um turn it up um and so um you know, I, I think it's really special for the listeners out there. And on top of that, you know, I'll kind of remind the listeners, this was a man who not too long before that talked about how he started allocating, you know, his investments in his bank accounts to um, loved ones because of the fact that he was in such a deep depression and, and kind of those thoughts ran through his head. So, um, you know, I know the story's not done, but kudos to you because this has been such a incredible ride so far um, and so from there now now you know you've made health and wellness a priority um, and um, where where does life take you at that point?
1: you know I got to the point where you know I, at that point I actually left Apple and went to pursue health and wellness you know I started working for you know uh, a chain. A, a fitness chain in the city because it was just my life, right? It was sure. people like people looking at me like, you're leaving Apple? Are you kidding me? You know those benefits they have? I said, yeah, other, other companies have benefits also. But you know what? It's, I want to be around fitness, right? I want to yeah. be around like-minded individuals, people that have the same goals, people that have the same ambitions. But more importantly, I want to see those people that are there that are possibly thinking about giving up and you know see if i can help them i kind of encourage them to to not give up right that you 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 can do it no matter what right don't don't let any of the distractions get to you don't let the naysayers get to you you know like you, you can do it so i did that um then i was approached you know to go into an investment um you know for 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 a facility a fitness facility which i did um I'll keep it short speaking on that, but it just didn't, didn't go well, mm-hmm. you know, um, or didn't see eye to eye, uh, with the partners and, you know, uh, wish them well. Yeah. But, you know, I lost a lot of money. Um, I, you know, put me in a bad, bad place with, with credit and things like that, just because of, because of true. that investment and things like that. But, you know, I stayed in the fitness industry, you know, um, working in, in whether it was you know, fitness or whether it was recovery, you know, uh, either one, you know, they're, they're all go um, together. And, you know, that's where I am now. Well, yeah. um, you know, like you, you, you said, you know, we, we started high drip. So um, high drip is uh, IV drip uh, treatment that, you know, literally started. Um, we have a common friend, Chris Rita. Yep. uh who is who is uh one of my business partners. You know, he him and and Brandon, his other partner Brandon Cologne, you know, uh approached me and they wanted me to do drips for them on the side as a kind of a side project at one of their uh, you know hotels out in Montauk and yeah. you know, um it started as that, right? As as you know doing a side side project for them, but it never developed just because of there was some zoning issues and permit issues out on Montauk this summer. Um uh, but then me and my my partners, you know um uh, Anthony Cruchelli, Ron Carter, and Gary carpenter, who's our our doctor um we you know we had everything lined up, we had the accounts, we had the, the supplies, we had the nurses, you know we sourced everything we were ready to ready to go, but it just didn't develop, and we're like we were gonna take the money we made from the summer in that mm-hmm. side project and then that was gonna be our startup capital, you know mm-hmm. to actually you know start the business but um didn't happen you yeah. know but then one day we were we got on a call right we we get on a weekly call uh, all the partners and we talk about it and one day we were talking like hey what do we do man we don't have the startup capital now we yeah. thought we we're gonna have you know i don't have the funds myself anymore because of other sure. investments um and you know one then gary you know says says man we're too close and yeah. we have something really good here and he's like you know we're, we're gonna help people you know, uh, regain their health back, especially after COVID and, and, and all that, you know? Um, so he says to me, Hey man, I'm going to sell a bunch of crypto and I'm going to sell a bunch of stock and I'm going to put money into it. You know? Yeah. So I look at him, I said, what? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So I look at him and I said, Hey man, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah. So I, I went and, you know, sold some investments, Uh, so that we can, you know, put it together and and start the company. And, you know, we were going to launch back in August. uh, But we had more obstacles, right? Like I said to you, I'm big on handshakes and somebody's word. So I had a handshake and a word from somebody that we were supposed to rent the space from. And then turns out that they were not the person we thought they were. And they kind of you know, pushed us out and things like that, so it kind of delayed us months and months. Now, throughout this whole time, you know, I had this person who's a mentor. Yeah. Um, this this very very successful uh, woman in New York City. You know, she's in real estate and she has a bunch of other companies. She was a client of mine at my old job, and I told her that I was starting the the drip company. Uh, so she says to me, "Hey, I'll be a client. No, no problem, right?" And then you know, d- throughout the summer, she kept checking in, like, hey, did it did it happen? You know, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, no, we're running into this, we're running into this. She says to me, hey, I want to help you. And I said, uh, sure, how? She's like, you know, if you don't mind, I would love to be, you know, your mentor. I, you know, I can kind of walk you through a bunch of stuff. I've been, I've done this for a while. I'm very successful at it. So I said to her, I said, boy, I would love that. I just can't afford you. I don't have consultation fees to pay you. She laughs and she says, did I ask you for any money? I didn't ask you for any money. I said, yeah, okay, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. So she's been my mentor, you know, throughout the whole time and helping me, you know, through negotiations and, you know, training. And she's just been in, invaluable to me. And another, you know, another time uh, she was asking me like, hey, what's holding the business back from like really, you know, going? And I said, well, you know, we had the setback with the, with the location and things like that. But more importantly is that you know none of none of the partners we all have jobs right yeah. So no, nobody nobody's in there full time and she's like well if somebody were to jump in full time who's who would it be and i said well it would, it would be me no brainer yeah. i'd be i'd jump in full time but i i don't i don't have money to pay myself i need a salary to live on yeah. just to pay you know pay my bills and things like that and she's like well what are you doing to try to make that happen i said i said hey i'm trying to you know, look into grants you know, and things like that to see, you know, if I qualify for any of them so that I can, you know, make a certain amount of money, uh, put it into the business so I can at least pay myself a, a salary. I said, she's like, well, wh- how much are you looking for? I said, if I can get, if I can get a hold of like six months worth of salary, I know that in six months I can do turn something yeah. and turn this around and, and, and you know, we can get, you know, going. And she's like, she's like, oh, right, you know, come to my home. Let's, let's chat. I said, yeah. oh, do you know, you know, grants that I can apply for? She's like, yeah, I do. I do. So <clears throat> we started talking, uh, in her, in her home, she disclosed to me, you know, some of her health issues. She has some health issues her, her, herself and, you know, um, which I won't disclose, but you know, it was, it was tough for me to accept cause she's been, she's really close to me. Um, she's an amazing person. You don't run into people like this. Yeah. Uh, and then after we talk about her health, she's like, Hey, let's talk business now. And I said, wow, I don't, Feel like we should be talking yeah. about business now. Yeah. Like I'm really, you know, like you know, uh, she's like, "Hey, I am a businesswoman. I no matter what we talk about before, we're going to talk about business now." Great. So she, you know, we start talking about grants, and I say, "Hey, do you know of any?" Blah, blah, blah. then she looks at me and she says, "What's your salary?" You know, currently. Yeah. So I tell I tell her what my salary is, and uh, she says, "Okay," and then she's uh, she starts writing on a piece of paper. Uh-huh. and she looks at me and she goes forget that forget the credit forget the grant and she goes this is what i'm gonna do for you and i said i look at and i said wait what she's uh-huh. like yeah this is this is what's called an angel investment she's like i'm i don't want any equity from you i don't want anything from your company i legitimately just want to help you um wow. i believe i believe in I believe in the, in, in, in the product because the reason I met her was because she was an IV drip therapy comp- yeah. um, uh, client. Yeah. And she's like, I believe in that. I believe in the company. But more importantly, I believe in you. Um, and I want you to be successful. And I know that you're going to do great things. And I want to help you as much as possible. And she facilitated, you know, uh, not only a year's worth of salary, she gave, she gave us a year and a half worth wow. of salary uh but the condition is that that half i had to put into a uh investment account so they could you know continue to, make, grow. Continue to grow and make money for the company and yeah. things like that and um she's you know she's just been an angel and then I, when i told my partners this um they were dumbfounded they were like excuse me what you know they heard about her right they yeah. knew her cuz i would talk about her all the time oh, yeah. and when i when i told them that they were like wow. And then I said, Hey man, I don't, I don't know what I did to, to deserve this person in my life. And my, one of my good friends, Ron, who's the person that was always pushing me to get my story out. I don't know if you remember, I told you, i never wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. He says to me, he said, man, you've gone through enough, man. Yeah. You've, you've overcome enough. You've, you've always been there for others. You, you know, even when you're in your, in, in your toughest spots, um, because I, yeah, yeah, I, we kinda skip we kinda skip stuff also, but you know, sure. um FYI, I had a battle with COVID where I thought I was I was a goner because, you know, I'm immunocompromised yeah. because of my tumor. Um and when I recovered from COVID, um I, I almost I almost got run over by a car. Like literally the car was like I I'm on my bike, I flipped yeah. over and the car the car was like two inches from my head. Yeah. Um and that was the moment where one of my friends said, Man, you are here for a reason. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how many lives I have left, man. They were like, it doesn't matter. Somebody's looking over you and yeah. it's because you're here for a reason, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for you to inspire and motivate and help others, that's your reason. Um, so when I told them about the investment, he said, Man, we've spoke about this before, right? You've almost died multiple times. And we told you you're here for a reason. He goes, don't question the universe. Yeah. Don't question, you know, things that need to happen. He's like, we 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 calculated we were going to make X amount of money to start this business, yeah. right? And by this time frame, and he's like, guess what? You got that money in the same time frame. You just got it in a different blessing, you know, yeah. uh, than we anticipated or that we thought. He's like, it was meant to be, my brother. Like you, yeah. you're here that you're here for for a reason. What it is um we we don't know yet you don't know yet but you know one of these days you know you'll you'll realize it and you know just go with it you know just be thankful and continue to inspire and and just being a a generally good person and you know every time he he has to remind me that a lot of times because not not to remind me to be a good person but remind remind me not to like question like man i don't know why this is happening to me like wow he's like yeah, well, remember when other things were happening to you, and you were like, "Man, why is this happening to me?" On the negative side, he goes, "This is just, you know, karma. Like you never gave up. You, you're a fighter. You, your inspiration, and you're just a good person, and you deserve it." And uh, I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I agree that I deserve it, but you know, for sure, like things are happening now, and um, I'm just truly grateful. Every day I wake up is a blessing. You know, I'm, I'm on a lot of medication yeah. uh, because of my tumor, and for me i don't care because i'm alive you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i'm here and i'm here and um i just want to continue moving forward and, and and building you know building this company and, and through through that making connections such as yourself and you know inspiring others and you know just um just generally living life and enjoying every single day
0: <laughs> i'm i'm all, i'm speechless to be honest right now because you had told me this story about the angel investor when we had met and in my mind, not even for a second did I question that you deserved it or that you had it coming. Um, and um, I, I know it, it, it at times it's tough to ex- accept the circumstances of like, what did I do to deserve this? Despite the fact that, you know, you had gone through everything you had gone. But honestly, there is no correlation, you know, uh, and and you didn't have to receive a blessing like that. But um, I, I am a true believer that that your job, you know, on this earth is not done. You have a lot to accomplish and that there's going to be a lot um, that you're going to do. And and one of the things that I think is particularly special about you in particular is that you don't have to say much. You don't have to do much. You literally just need to be present, um, you know, amongst your community, amongst the people. Um, and, and they can see the reflection of strength within you. Um, and that is something that I saw myself. Usually, I, I ask guests to kind of leave a little tidbit of wisdom with regards to some of the takeaways of, of their narratives. And, you know, for any listener who made it, you know, this far along, this is the longest episode I've ever done. And there's a reason for that. And um, I, I kind of thought that was going to be the case. And um, for me, I kind of want to leave it more along the lines of asking you about. What do you see as being your purpose, um, you know, from here on out? What is what is your purpose, and and what have you found um, as kind of being um, your driver for how you plan to carry on, you know, your life going forward?
1: Wow, oh, um, I have to say, my, what I feel my purpose is um, to be that that shining light, that that guidance for people. That couple couple things right people that are in a dark space where maybe thinking of you know no longer being with us right and and, you know knowing that they have a lot of obstacles and a lot of things have gone you know and have not gone their way but knowing that hey you know you could fight through it right you can make it right um you gotta but you gotta flip that switch right and it's not easy right It's, it's a lot easier said than done but you know, hopefully be an inspiration to those people, be an inspiration to people that are that are fighting, you know, for for gaining their, their weight back. Right. You know, that the, that battle, that obesity um, and just, you know, I, I've been there. Right. Like a lot of a lot of my friends and people that I know, they're like, oh, are you are you a trainer? And I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, you should be because I, I would you know, I would follow you because you know, the struggle, you know, a lot of them say that like trainers, some trainers have always been in shape, right? So they don't know, you know, so now they're trying to explain to their trainer why they went, they gained weight and the trainer doesn't understand the trainers like, no, you got to do this. You got to do that. Right. But they're like, you understand, you know what that is, right? Like you've been there, you've been at rock bottom. Right. Um, so, you know, inspiring those as well that are, are, you know, battling that and just, you know, to show people that, you know, they are good people out here. Um, like you said, you know, I, I take everybody as a good person until you show me otherwise. Um, and you know, there's a lot of skepticism around, like when people try to help you, you're like, all right, but well, what do you want in return? You know? Yeah. Um, and I just want to show people too, that, <laughs> that there are good people out here that exist, that are willing to help you and don't want anything in return. Like they just literally want to help people. And, you know, I, I've experienced that. And I, I try to do that every day in my life, you know, helping people however I can, um, and it's just you know positivity that's that's all it is we just got to share positivity there's a lot of negativity out here um and like i told you like even even on my social media you'll never see anything on on there on there like that has to do with like politics or religion or you know anything that may divide people you know other than me poking at the Met fans and things like that but
0: (laughs) that's fair uh, that's
1: a laugh That's a lot. But other than that, yeah, just, you know, just breeding positivity, the people around me, people that um, I encounter and, you know, just generally being a good person, you know, whether, whether you succeed or not, you know, like sometimes people are like, ah, I have every, you have every reason not to be a good person. You had so many things go wrong. I was like, well, what, what, what's that going to get me? You know what I mean? Like by, by not being a good person. So, um, yeah, that's 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 what I that's what I feel I'm here for is just to 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 be like an example to people like man, if he did it, I could do it. I'm nobody special. I'm a regular everyday guy. So if I can do it,
0: you can do it. Thank you, Darren. Darren, you've truly personified strength in the face of struggle. Um I'm incredibly grateful that you were agreeable to coming on board and, and to sharing your story for the first time. I, I can't even count the number of just takeaways um throughout this recording, but I have no doubt that any person who listens to your story will find impact in it. And um, I just want to say thank you again for joining the Mile 40 family and coming on board and, and, and chatting with me today. Thank you.
1: Well, th- thank you. I'm super honored to be invited to this platform and you know sharing my, my story and you know connecting with you. You have an amazing story as well. So uh, it's, we, have a, we have some things in common. So you know, thank you. I, I, I'm honored. I'm, I'm humbled. And I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully continuing this relationship with you as well.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.